Hello, and welcome to the Market Matters podcast by Emirates NBD. I'm Katija Huck, and I'm delighted to be joined today by my colleague, Edward Bell, uh, who is our head of market economics. We're going to be talking today about the Fed and the outlook for interest rates through the rest of the year. Hi, Ed. Hi, Katija. So last night we had the FOMC announcing uh, another rate hike. Can you talk us through um, what they have done and where we are now with respect to uh, monetary policy in the United States? Yeah, sure. So the FOMC from the Federal Reserve raised the Fed funds rate by 25 basis point at their May meeting. That brings the target rate for the Fed funds up to five and a quarter percent on the top end. Now, that move was largely in line with our own expectations and what the market had been looking for as well. And we believe that this marks the end of the rate hike cycle from the Fed. It started last March uh, in 2022, and the Fed has hiked 10 times since then, taking a total of 500 basis points of monetary tightening in just a bit more than a year. That's been its largest and really its fastest pace of interest rate hikes since the uh, very high period of inflation in the 1970s and 1980s. But even then, the rate hiking cycle was a little bit more scattershot where you had some rate hikes, but then rate cuts. This time it has been much more uniform in going in one direction only. Um, the the hike was really well broadcast, I think, in the last FOMC meeting that we had in March, and markets had largely been expecting it. So most of the attention was not really on the uh, the move itself, but really on the kind of commentary that the Fed had in terms of the outlook for rates going forward, and also how they were assessing the kind of strain that we're seeing in financial system the financial system in the U.S., particularly with some of those mid to large regional banks. So in terms of what they um, signposted in the press conference and the statement about the path forward for for rates, um, have they indicated that they are done uh, or have they left the door open for uh, further hikes? Yeah, I think what we saw last night from Chair Powell, um, similar to what we have seen from other central banks, is a sort of rolling back of the forward guidance that central banks had been using uh, during different phases of low interest rate policy in terms of giving a clue as to where policy rates were going to be headed. Um, you know, in the kind of pre-pandemic pandemic times, it was nowhere really. Um, but we had a shift in the language in this statement where we previously, previously had a line where they said some additional policy firming could be introduced. And there was still a lot of uncertainty about what that meant. But basically, they watered that down to say that they're going to assess the cumulative impact of the rate hikes that they have taken so far uh, and how they're passing through into economic activity and into inflation before they make a judgment on what to do next. And that was sort of backed up with the commentary from Chair Powell in the press conference after the FOMC saying that the Fed uh, no longer anticipated the need to hike further, but they would be basically assessing the data flow over the next couple of months to determine what would would be needed going forward. So data dependent then, um, given potentially the high degree of uncertainty as well about um, what's happening in the US economy and in the US banking system. Uh, We've obviously had headlines over the last few days uh, about um, small and mid-sized banks that are uh, coming under strain. 
And there were also quite a few questions in the press conference with respect to the situation in the US banking sector. Um, what impact do you think this banking sector stress is going to have on the Fed's outlook and potentially on monetary policy going forward? Yeah, well, the headline view from the Fed still seems to be that the banking system in the U.S. Uh, remains sound and robust and able to withstand the uh, strain that's at play right now. And I think it's more about singling out some banks that uh, whose business models were not uh, well suited for an end to a period of very low interest rates and maybe couldn't adjust their um, practices for the, the pace of monetary tightening that we've seen so far. So it's not the fact that rates have gone up, I think per se, but just the fact that they have gone up so fast in a short period of time that's meant that businesses haven't been able to readjust um, to match that. Um, that being said, we did have this, this reiteration from Chair Powell that the, the stress in financial markets in, uh, in its own way is a kind of financial tightening. And we're seeing that already where credit conditions are tightening in the United States. Uh, you'd probably expect to see that if you have more um, concerns about liquidity uh, among these kind of mid to large regional banks in the U.S., that that is going to tighten financial conditions even more as they work to perhaps shore up deposits um, by raising the deposit rates that they're offering uh, or lessening the credit that they're dispensing out to the economy. So there is a negative pass through to the rest of the economy from the stress that we're seeing in financial markets as well that adds it to, to tightening above the policy rate tightening that the Fed is doing and the quantitative tightening. So overall, the stress from the Fed's point of view doesn't look like it's a kind of systemic concern, but is, is helping to do the work of tightening monetary policy going forward. The issue is things like this, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And there's the risk that something could spiral out of control quite quickly. And I think if we saw a spread from some of these uh, mid to large size regional banks to a larger kind of universal bank in the U.S., then I think that would really give the Fed pause and force them to reevaluate and adjust their stance on monetary policy. So going away from this uh, restrictive stance to something that is much more accommodative uh, perhaps deploying emergency liquidity tools as well to help sure that there isn't a complete kind of credit seizure in the U.S. economy. I, d- I think it's important, though, um, to note that when he was talking to um, the journalists uh, in the press conference yesterday, he made it very clear that the Fed has a dual mandate and one aspect of it is price stability and bringing inflation back to the 2% target and how committed the Fed is to doing that. So even if um, we are seeing stress in the financial system in the United States, I would imagine the Fed would only really respond if, as you say, it becomes a systemic issue. Um, And presumably that in itself would be significantly disinflationary. So it wouldn't then mean a choice between uh, supporting uh, the financial sector and uh, achieving the, the, the inflation target because effectively... Um, a, a collapse in credit extension is going to lead to a significant drop in demand and therefore inflationary pressures in the US. So it, that potentially would be appropriate in any case for the Fed to, to ease monetary policy. Um, but that, as you say, that's not our base case scenario at all. Uh, we think that uh, most likely uh, the Fed will remain in a fairly um, tight monetary policy stance given that inflation in the United States is still 
very high, um, particularly compared to the 2% target. And it is seemingly quite sticky uh, when we look at the services sector in particular. Does the market agree with this assessment? Um, What is currently being priced in in terms of uh, US rate outlook? Yeah, I think there is this tension between what the Fed has been projecting in terms of the focus on inflation, regardless of the the stress in financial markets, that that's their primary uh, target right now in terms of of what they need to be um, kind of attacking with their policy tools and what the the market is. It's a question of what they're kind of looking for, what they're kind of hoping for, um, because based on what the market projection is, they actually start, they're now pricing in that we'll see a turn in Fed policy as early as July. So rates moving lower from that period and coming down to about four and a quarter, 4.5% by the end of this year. So basically netting out the hikes that we have seen in 2023 um, so far. I think that that kind of tension is going to create for a lot more financial market instability, given that the market is not aligned with where the Fed is yet, even though we sort of had had an agreement or alignment on where the top rate is going to be. It's just a question of how long the Fed stays there. And I think really the effectiveness of the Fed policy would be contingent on it having to hold rates at an elevated level for a prolonged period. As you noted, inflation is still very high. And based on the Fed's own economic projections that they released back in March, they still saw um, inflation above target by the end of this year. So that doesn't you know, really allow them to move to an accommodative stance. They would still need by their own kind of criteria to maintain a restrictive stance. So if you take that kind of view as a given that inflation is going to be above target, then the Fed needs to at least hold uh, if not do potentially even more, which again is not our core view, but maintain a kind of restrictive stance. But markets are looking for rates to be going lower. Um, and that's creating some, I think, instability and some more volatility in asset classes. So we have seen a real drop um, in treasury yields. So if you look at the two-year treasury yield in about the last month and a half, we've, we've gone down by about 120 basis points from over 5% to about uh, 3.8% at present as markets have been enduring this shift in what they think the Fed is going to do, but also the stress uh, in financial markets. Um, And I think this also has an important consequence for where we see the development of currency markets over the rest of the year, because it's important to keep keep in mind the Fed relative to other central banks. Um, A day after the May FOMC, we have the ECB, which is due to set rate uh, set interest rates, and we're expecting them to hike by 25 basis points and perhaps at least another 25 basis points in a few months' time. So the ECB still looking much more um, stridently hawkish in their approach to setting policy. And that's meaning that we're expecting to see the euro perform better than the dollar this year. So getting to about a 112 level by the end of Q2 from closer to 110 at at present. Similar story might be developing um, in the UK where the Bank of England is contending with um, inflation still around 10%, so way higher than what we have in the US. So really not in a a position where they can ease back in policy anytime soon. So I think, I mean, that's potentially quite um, a positive for the region, um, if we see, if we have seen a peak in the dollar and we start to see some improvement in the uh, in the exchange rate that allows the pegged currencies to be a little bit more competitive, uh, particularly against emerging market currencies, which is where most of our um, tourism revenue comes from. Um, 
But clearly, higher borrowing costs in the United States um, are going to affect our region. Uh, we we have uh, pegged currencies in the UAE and largely across the GCC. So uh, central banks in, in our region have had to follow the Fed and we've effectively imported the 500 basis points uh, in rate hikes that we've seen. Um, it does have an impact on the non-all sectors of the economy and the higher rates are one of the main reasons why we expect non-all sector growth to slow this year relative to last year. So consumers facing higher borrowing costs will have less money for discretionary spending. So that will potentially be a dampener on consumer demand. Um, but also private sector businesses are now facing a much higher hurdle rate when they are assessing um, new investment projects, right? So they need to be able to generate a much higher rate of return to make those projects viable. Um, and so that potentially is a dampener on private sector investment uh, in, in the UAE and um, to some extent the rest of the GCC as well. But of course, where we have government-led investment projects like in, in Saudi Arabia, um, those perhaps are a little bit more immune uh, from the interest rate impact. Um, overall, though, we are expecting in the UAE uh, non-all GDP growth to slow to 3.5% this year from around 6.1%, uh, which is our estimate for 2022 non-oil sector growth. And that slowdown takes into account the higher domestic borrowing costs as well as a more broadly weaker macroeconomic backdrop. So when we look at things like uh, trade volume growth globally, um, slower global economic growth, those things uh, typically would also weigh on economic activity in the UAE, which is a, a very open economy. Uh, thank you for listening to our podcast. Uh, thank you, Ed, for your comments. Um, if our listeners have enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. You can also find all of our research on global and regional macroeconomics, commodities and markets on emiratesmbdresearch.com.